another episode of Spotlight on Natural Resources, where we shine some light on what's going on in your environment. I'm your host, Erin Garrett. And I'm your co-host, Abigail Garfalo. And today we are here with Peggy Annecy, and Peggy is a natural resources, environment, and energy educator, just like Abigail and myself. She's located in the northern part of the state, and we're going to be talking about phenology today. So welcome, Peggy. Hey, thanks for having me. This is wonderful. Uh, So we're going to jump right in today um, with our chat about phenology, but can you give our listeners a brief overview of what that is? What is phenology and why is it important? Well, this is a definition I've carried around for, I don't know, since maybe 07. Should I say a date? I don't know. But um, it came out of some work with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife. So some people may have a little bit different rendition, but this is what I keep posted in case I get asked this question. And phenology is a branch of science that's dealing with the relations between climate and periodic biological phenomenon. Um, It's a study of the response, basically, of living organisms to seasonal and climatic changes due to the environment in which they live, so whatever's affecting them, and seasonal changes, including variations in the duration of sunlight, precipitation, temperature, and other life-controlling factors. Today, we call life-controlling factors limiting factors. It's the vernacular's changed a little bit. Um, and it's a little bit of phenology history, because I'm that person, you guys. Um It's said that Gilbert White, he was a vicar from Hampshire, England. He presented the first systematic observations of local nature based on a calendar-style journal. And if we have time, it'll come up today, um, back in the 18th century. And his works, and you may have seen this book, maybe not, um, uh, The Nature History of Selborne from 1788. And it's one of the most published books uh, in English, and it's comparable to the Bible and some of Shakespeare's work. Of course, back then we didn't have Webster's Dictionary, so if you look it up, you have to look for the title was A Garden Calendar, but calendar is spelled with a K, just something fun to think about. That is kind of fun, and that was, there was a lot of pieces in there, and I, I've always loved phonology. I think, like, the concept of it is, like, ecology at its mm-hmm. true form, this idea of, like, how do they interact, and then it also matches my other favorite thing, which is, like, mapping things out. If anybody knows me and has ever worked with me, I loved, I love a good whiteboard with sticky notes, and mm-hmm. I feel like phonology <laughs> is, like, sticky note whiteboarding it up on a calendar Calendar when it comes to, uh, like, when something's growing, when something's flowering, what visits it, and when that animal in particular is mating or something, and so I think it's just really cool to kind of see that in a visual space and A lot of the times when those, when you see resources that show like the phonology of them, they're really beautiful visually and also really helpful. Um, And so I love that we're talking about this today. Super excited. Yay. I was going to ask like, what, what gave you this idea though? I'm passionate about (laughs) it, but I never thought about being like, we should talk about it on the podcast. So where did it come from that you were like, I want to talk about phonology with Aaron and Abigail for an hour. I know, right? Well, one, I want to talk to you guys for an hour, and this gives us a reason, right? That's the biggest thing. But strangely, so you have to remember, I am not looking to retire, but I'm getting closer, and I'm worried. Our lives are very busy with our jobs, and I love it, but I'm also a little bit on the – I can sit and focus on something in my yard for hours, but sitting in front of the computer, not so much, right? I'm worried about shutting down and not having something. And I've been thinking about this for a long time because I see people that are like, oh, I'm going to do all this. And then they don't move, right? And I'm like, oh, that would be me. Um, So basically what happened, honestly, I got COVID this year 
and I stayed out in the yard because we had a very reasonable summer at that point and later in July and I'm literally laid in a lounge chair and I've been in my yard for almost 30 years and I saw things I've never seen because I had nothing to do but stop and look and I went oh my gosh I could entertain myself for years you two understand like you like we know Abigail's mapping they you know you guys know my nerdism um and the Everything from, I even thought it was like thinking about air, and I'm like, why does that grass in the wind bend so much, and the other one barely moves because it's so much stiffer, and I'm like, I don't know what they are. I have a whole yard full of stuff. I don't know what it is. I need to keep track, and I like to be alone. I'm a little bit of an introvert, believe it or not, and so I came up with this, oh my gosh, I could do phenology. Start with just my little quarter acre and fill a lot of time and then move on from there, maybe right? Because our brains are wired, you know, to forget. Um, I was so grateful when I read that research. (laughs) It's in there, but it's stored out of reach. So we, we experience years of noticing, we have it, but we file it away, because there's only so much retrievable info we can handle. And the comparable in the research was, the belief is that we have five smartphones worth of holding power in our brain, but only fractions of that can we pull forward. By doing phonology, you give yourself written cues to not only remember, but see patterns. The journals allow us to bring things to our attention and compare them over time, which is what it's about. In science, the more or less of on timing is one of the most important things. Did it happen sooner? Did it happen later? Time's a constant. The calendar's a constant. Um, and you can pick what you want to track in your space. You always can add another one. And, and you can keep it small at first and just keep building. I mean, it's it's the perfect growth into retirement in my mind. And really accessible too, Peggy, right? Like it's like, I Absolutely. just need my yard. Yeah. I just feel like it gives you a really easy way to, and non-committal too. Like, it's like, I could just do my yard. Maybe I could yeah. also, I could go further if I wanted to, I don't have to. Yeah. I had a shoulder surgery once I was told I couldn't even pull a weed with my other arm for nine weeks. I had to be off work. It was horrible. And I'm like, wow, this is a limitation many people have every day. And I mentioned this to somebody I said, doesn't matter who you are. You can do it with kids, with grandkids. You can do it if you're, if you're physically, you know, unable to get very far. And somebody said, well, you can't do it if you're blind. Well, my dad was going blind near the end of his life. And he said, I'm glad it's not my ears because I can hear everything and I can hear and I can bite feeling. You know, some of your gauges don't have to be a scientific instrument. I feel warm today, and it is spring, and I'm hearing this, right? We've always heard that when you lose one sense, you gain more in the other. So it really is. You're right, Abigail. This is this is a place where um, I, I'm going to just say almost everyone, in case I get caught, you know, with something, but can engage in some way, especially if you don't make it something for a PhD. You know, you're you're just doing it to to absorb and, and get something um, to feed you and, and get to see the responses. Yeah. And the, the way you talked about too, like, you know, I had to sit in my yard and go nowhere, go, like I couldn't go anywhere. And I noticed oh, a lot of things. It, it made me think of too, like during the um, height of the pandemic, when, you know, that all started uh, really shut down in March, even like late February. 
And you like that's spring. That's when the seasons really started to change. And I feel like we all kind of unknowingly became phenologists then. The what the COVID walk was like a thing. Everybody would go out and yeah. walk and you started noticing things. I actually had like a small obsession with squirrels for like a year because of that. I had like a squirrel family outside of my yard or outside of my window and that I like watched grow and develop and then like go on and stuff. And and uh, it makes me, I'm like, wow, I was doing phenology. Look at me. So yeah. that's, that's pretty cool. Um, and those things can trigger your brain too. Even if you didn't write that down every spring, you're like, there's going to be something happen that'll trigger that. And whether you have time to, to observe it or not, you're like, oh, squirrel time, you know, <laughs> that's enough. It's a, it's a connection, right? Yeah. Or like observing when the squirrels get really fat, right? When they're, they come out in the spring. Yeah. Really, really cool. Really right neat. now that they're all not out as much. Why? Because it's cold and they're doing a little bit of a dormancy. You could be tracking that dormancy based on these lovely high. We are up to zero by the way. So, you know, <laughs> I, I would add to that too. And you guys would probably remember, but Nina Leopold Bradley, Aldo's, one of Aldo's daughters, took over the on the Aldo Reserve. He had done a 10-year phenology journal from 35 to 45. And her and her husband, Charlie, picked it back up. And it ended up with the, between the two sets covering 70 years of phenology on that property. And they focused on blooms and bird songs. I mean, they, and I've, I've seen her notebook. She presented, she, I think she passed in 2011. I saw her up in Wisconsin at a, at a conference. Her journals were very full, but they were calendar journals. They were, they were bullet points. And she just, and I think she was covering over 300 species. You do not, if you do one, but they built it over time and it was just 70 years. The things you could, that's some citizen science value right there. Definitely. Yeah. And I think there, I mean, you mentioned Leopold and, and with like the Sand County Almanac, right? That's an example of a phenology as well. I know we're going to read, I lead a book club for our volunteers and we're going to read The Forest Unseen later this year, which is a year's watch in nature. And so it's another like calendar based obser- nature observations, which are one of my favorite things to read because um, it just puts it in place. Doug Tallamy, his oak, Nature of Oaks does the same thing where it's by month. So those are just some other examples of things. If you have no idea, like it can look a lot of different ways, right? Right. Um, No matter how you make observations or, or how you write them, how you document them. Right. And I think the the biggest thing that you need is time, which we all say, right. is really hard to, to make that time. Um, But if you do, then, you know, you can build from there. So if we do find the time, Peggy, what other tools do you suggest using? What have you done in the past um, to kind of record your observations? You know, the best, I would say, especially if you're starting out the tools that I would suggest first, comfortable clothes because if you get out there you're like I'm going to do my phonology but you're wearing something you just came out of a business meeting with or it's cold out and you don't have the right you know if you're going to do this you know make it a point that I'm going to be able to sit either on the ground you know bring a little bit of a pad or a blanket really make it so that you're not thinking about yourself in the moment Um, I know that sounds silly but prepared (laughs) be prepared don't just go on I don't have time for this now it's really if it's about your discomfort you do have time you just didn't plan well Um, a calendar journal is the number one for startup and that's basically where any of you that are good at excel could create this this is not me I would do it on notebook paper but you would put the I I love that you guys know me so well you would put the day of the year you know not by Monday through Sunday but July 21st and below it you would put 20 
with a blank all five like five times for a five-year journal. So below that date, you would have ah, 2024 or say January. Let's say today, January 16th, 2024. You'd make your notes and you'd move across horizontally. The next year would be the next horizontal line. So you could compare in a column those exact things each year in a five-year mm-hmm. span. That just for starters but what that leads to, let me assure you, is the fact that then you're going to need, you're going to want a field notebook, a little bit bigger bullets, right? And if you do the field notebook, then you're going to want to draw a sketch or write more. Don't do that right away, but timestamp an additional journal to go with your observations. Focus on the observation. Focus on the moment. This Robin song on this date at this time and somewhere you should probably be recording maybe the weather that day, right? So that you can quick look, but you can cross-reference to a journal. And really, that's only if you want to really, really keep track. I mean, you can build it into something bigger, but don't get it so big where then it becomes a frustration. You can back it up. I just want to note when the robins are singing, you know, or whatever, you know, whatever brings you the most joy. Don't build it beyond, don't make it a not, don't make it a job during retirement, which is what could happen, right? You'd be like, I can't believe I have to do this today. It's like my gardeners. I love, I love some of my friends that garden, but then they're like, I can't believe I have to weed today. I'm like, okay, you're gardening in vain. Weeding is part of the therapy of getting to know the soil and the plants that want to live there, right? If you're mad, you're not doing it out of joy. And and you could have even a, you, you said this, Erin, um, there's many ways that it can look. My Aunt Hannah, I went to a, a estate sale for my great Aunt Hannah, one of the most lovely women. So these people were farming in the early 1900s, and they were Swedish. <clears throat> and she had a recipe box and a recipe book. I couldn't read the book. I thought, this is cool. It's Swedish. I should learn this. I'm like, of course, I haven't. And then, oh, a recipe box, and it had a Swedish pattern. I left it alone, and one day I'm like, I should look at her handwriting and her recipes. You guys, it wasn't recipes. It was a phonology on in, index cards of the weather, climate, temp, actions, full for, I don't remember the year. I've got it stashed away somewhere to keep it safe. I don't. I, would, I didn't even think to look for it because you just brought that up. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, they didn't have Channel 9. They didn't have a weatherman. They had to keep track and probably had a few less fluctuations because we're having a lot more with weather events now. But she was probably in charge of, okay, Uncle Harry probably came in and said, okay, when can I plant? When, when, when did we plant last year and the year before? I mean, how cool is that? You could just keep it in index cards. What a, like, a yeah. special little present for you, Peggy. Oh, I feel and like I that's... sat on it. And I sat on it for years thinking it was just <laughs> recipes that I couldn't read. <laughs> I love that. Well, that also shows, I mean, for those that are gardeners, you might already be doing this and not realize, right? If you're taking notes, I always try and then I give up. I always start real strong and then like, I don't have this anymore, but there's other ways, right? You could look, I know for me, I look back through old pictures and I'm like, oh yeah, I remember we were out prepping garden beds March 1st and we were ready to plant. And that was a really early year. So there might be like non-traditional ways too, that you've already been doing this, that you don't realize it through, you know, through pictures or through iNaturalist, right? Uploading observations that way. I know I got, uh, my friend gave me a a notebook that was designed for this. It was a year-long nature notebook with like the months oh, in it. And then you filled in the dates and it had each day and it, had, it was beautiful, it had beautiful drawings. And that was my goal last year was to like document my yard, something that I saw every day. And it worked really great until April and then we moved so that's it's sitting in a drawer and I want to start it again um in our new house but I think 
I got overwhelmed by it, right? Easily. And I think you said that one, just listening to like a Robin, if you pick like one thing in your yard that you want to observe or wherever you want to make your observation, right? Is it this tree? Is it this family of squirrels? I have like 16 families of squirrels in my backyard. Um, what is it that you want to focus on and pay attention to and like start there and try to like compare over the years. And then I really think then it'll just be exciting and you'll want to build from there. But I know me, I got, I get really overwhelmed easily and I have good intentions and then it always just stops. So. And you redo it. It's okay. You know, you come back to it. I wonder too, if it can be as like non-committal as I'm just going to take like one to five minutes today to do this. And then if you end up spending 20, it was great. Cool. But then like that one minute, if you grump, grump, grump through that one minute, then at least you were like, that was a minute of my life to move on. So right. and you could, you could even do it as a phonology. And if the sciences are like, ah, just the thought of science, do it as a gratitude moment for, for nature. So you start noting it and do it every, and then you could go back and see what you were great, you know, had that gratitude, that gratefulness for that day. And it might be the Robins were singing that day, you know, um, and then see if it eventually some of it all of a sudden fills in a couple columns and you see something, you know, you want it to be something healthful and helpful. I'm thinking about too, you mentioned the calendar or like the book and then like that has this date and then the years. And mm -hmm. I was like, oh my gosh, how long am I committed to having this notebook and not losing it. That was my first concern. <laughs> losing it. Uh, that was my first concern, honestly. And so like, obviously maybe like not losing your records is like the first skill that you need to, to continue the, with this phonology. But what other kind of skills do you need to keep, you know, a calendar or a journal when it comes to uh, doing this kind of Thing. You know, the, I think some physical skills first are attentiveness. And you guys know this. Most importantly, be attentive to the nature that's around you. All you have to do is be there. <laughs> Hopefully not with COVID or sometimes those newborn babies cause you to have to sit and they're finally asleep and your whole life ends right there. And you're okay with that. Just be, just be, but don't, don't miss something. You know, you want to come to know a place and the organism so well that it becomes really predictable. So even if it's one thing, but it's the one space, I would start with a yard or a, a patio, even if it's at your apartment complex. Um, there's actually a, a book that I would I would suggest. You were talking about books, The Sound of a Wild Snail Eating. Sounds uh, E.O. Wilson really approved of it, but it beautifully demonstrates the rewards of closely observing nature. It also resonates with anyone who's had a long healing process. That's why I really liked it, but it's not written for that but this woman actually it's a true story and you can even go online and and punch in the sound of a of a snail the sound of a wild snail eating and she has the sound of it rasping which would make gardeners panic maybe i shouldn't even tell you that mm -hmm. um but bernd heinrich i was uh i found another insert from him he wrote like a, he's written a number of books ravens um a lot of phonology with winter and summer but one of his books the geese of beaver bog he put in there his quote, much of what I see is by now becoming rep repetitious and familiar to me. This is something to strive for because without the attainment of familiarity, the significant remains invisible. Immersion in the familiar also brings me a feeling of tranquility and comfort, a sense that all is right with the world. An example of that is I I drove in today. I work at the end of, you know, uh, end of a road in a forest reserve. I come through the woods every day. But I can tell you today what trees have started to split and fall from the way to the snow because I was like, whoa, what's wrong with that tree? It's a tree in amongst a million. And I'm not saying that egotistically. It just 
innately happens because I've been here for almost 25 years, which I love that feeling that, oh my gosh, I may be so busy, but my brain just went stop. That's not the same as it was. So his point being, if you get super familiar with a spot, which can be bad, but if you do phonology, it keeps you connected and to the things that you would be missing uh, because you're not familiar with a space. The way that talks about like the tranquility and the familiar too, and like just knowing it makes me think of like my parents' backyard and how like it's like a cornfield. I always love to see like the, we have a squirrel that always walks across the power line. That's like, oh, there's our buddy squirrel. We kind of notice when he's missing or when he's there, or if it's a different squirrel or something. And so this idea, I always, whenever I see that backyard, whenever I visit my house, I'm always like, oh, that view. like that. There's a comfort yeah. to it, right? Mm-hmm. And I think the other thing that we get wrapped up in, and like, I love that you've been saying squirrels, squirrels, and this and that without scientific names, right? We're not going, da, 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 da. It's not about what it is initially. Don't get freaked out. I don't want people to go, oh, I have to do scientific names. No, you don't. It's not what, it's why. If you find, I found once with some kids, and they wouldn't listen to me because there was a dead mouse on the trail. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, you guys, it's not what it is, which I knew, but I didn't tell them. I didn't, it didn't matter that it was a white-footed mouse, right? I said, it's a mouse. Well, what kind? A cold one now, right? And, and they're like, well, I said, it's not what it is, you guys. Why? And all of a sudden, this group of kids turned on fourth graders like, well, here's a potential scenario. Oh, and nobody said your story's wrong. They just kept adding a new potential. So when you see something and you don't know what it is, you can look it up later. Why is it there? Is it the temperature? Is it the time of day, time of year? Go with the, you know, really practice a skill of why, because if you're starting out and you don't have a trained scientific background, you're going to be a great phonologist because you're not going, well, that is, you know, Tamius striatus the chipmunk you know it's like you take the fun right out of it sometimes if you get too worried so people don't have to have that background um and you want to you know go on walks with people that know the same or more or less you'll be so proud of yourself and always you've some you guys have probably heard me say it I, i preach this to my master naturalist you want to learn from people who want to share what they know so that you can become the teacher too and share what you know you don't go out there and go, well, I know this because of this. Share it. That's how you keep learning more or or remember it because you've then shared it, which is what we do all the time, right? I love that, like, why I tell my master naturalists all the time. And there's actually this whole, like, um, theory of avenue of environmental education where they, like, refuse to call it the name of things. They're like, I won't tell you the name, like what Peggy said, until we get to a point where, like, there's no other way. Because I know, as a person who knows about oaks, that, like, oaks mean all of these things. But if you don't know that an oak is a door, like, the word oak is a doorway into what it all means, you've learned nothing by learning that it's an oak tree. You just know that it's that's what it's called. And so I think it's... To the the names are useful if you know, but if you don't, like ask those questions. Don't spoil it for other people. Let people discuss and and learn. Right, so. right. People always say, "What bird is that?" I'm like, "I have no idea." Right at the bird feeder, you know, and they're like, "Oh, like we better help her," you know. And there's a <laughs> language of indigenous people was often in this case. I don't know. You should speak with the bird, right? And they will show you everything you need to know about them before you grab the book. It's good to grab the book, but not first, because the bird's telling you everything about it and your nose is in the book. (laughs) So just hang on to the book, hang on to your thought, hang on to your phone camera. Don't use it right away. 
we're, I know for a fact this is what I'm doing with when I grab that phone is I'm taking a picture assuming I can look at it later and figure it out and I never go back. Instead of engaging in the moment, watching how an insect crawls, is it missing a leg, what could have happened? You know, instead I'm like, oh, I wonder what that is, click, and I go on. I know that's what I do and it frustrates me when I do it because I feel like I have to capture it somehow, but instead I should be just there and it'll come around again if I go back to that space and that time of year and that kind of thing. I think we're very quick. I think pictures are important, but I think we're very quick to snap that as if it's a file. That's a really, that's a good observation and just reflection because I feel like I do that a lot. And I was pinpointed back to a moment last year when I found, uh, I think I might've mentioned it on the podcast. I found, I can't even remember what it was. It was a large moth, like a very large moth um, that was in my little pots of native plants that I had brought with us to our new house. I hadn't planted them yet. And I was watering and I saw something flutter, like very large. And so I stopped and just was in that moment of observing this large, beautiful, like pink and brown and white moth just like sat with it for a while because it was very friendly. And it let me watch it and observe it for a while. And it climbed on my hand and it was just awesome. And then I was taking all the pictures because I wanted to look up what it was, but just that moment of awe of just like me and the moth and like, wow, it's here. And what plant is it on? And I wonder why it's here. And how did it find this? And where are, are there more? And I wonder if it'll come back and all of those things. And, and that's what I remember, right? I don't remember what it was. I know I looked it up um, and I did learn the name of it. And, but that's not what stuck with me. It was that moment and that connection. So I think that's just. Um, and I think that that's how it been. always used to be. You think about like mm-hmm. when I was talking about Aunt Hannah and Uncle Harry, what they had access to for information. My dad told me once when I was really little, he said, you know, and my, you have to remember my dad was born in 1925 where they, again, they're, they're observing and figuring out what to do for gardening and for crops, for agriculture. And he told me once, he goes, he said, he said, Peggy, he said, you know, it's spring when the male and female cardinal are eating at the same level. I'm like, so I took it for that. Oh, look, they're at the same spot on the bird feeder or on the, or on the limb must be spring. And that was a key. He said it cause he was a big, he was an agronomist, right? He liked to garden and help people with crops. And it turns out as a zoologist, which is what I studied zoology and now turned naturalist because it's a little lighter weight to carry, right? I can support that information with science because the research has shown that when a male cardinal is choosing a mate, he picks up food and he passes that seed to the female beak to beak and he offers it to her. And if she accepts it, they become a mated pair for that year. Okay, you can't spit it at her from a different level. You have to hand it to her if you want to fall in love. And it turns out, why would that have to do with spring, right? Because you can't have babies if it's winter. They'll die if there's not enough food. And they, you feed babies insects. Insects can't come out till spring when the weather's warm enough for them to see. And it's like, here, it sounded like a goofy old man thing. And it turns out that it's phenology and it's science. I have no words. I feel like that was just like really cool. Like, I just Anybody- don't, I don't know. It was just like, I just... <laughs> Anybody like, flings a sandwich at a, a person, they shouldn't accept it, you know? It should be a polite thing. Once, you know, I started watching it because my dad always told me, and since I've been in my house, I couldn't tell you what year, I watched a cardinal do that at a bird feeder with an oil sunflower seed. I'm like, oh, it's going to happen. Now I'm excited to bring my dad forward, who's gone now. And when that female, and they do it over and over once they start, that must have been the first seed because the male got excited, visually thrilled 
And I'm like, it didn't happen every other time I'd ever seen it. So evidently it was the first scene. And he's like, oh, she said yes. Right? Oh, and, and I, I feel so like, happy. Peggy, if you were trying to take a picture then, like, it, you would have been like, I, oh, man, the, the cardinal's moving. I can't get a picture see? of this cardinal. Yes. Thank you, Abigail. Absolutely. And I have a visual of his excitement from, it, like, all his feathers got tight and he's kind of stretched up. And then he, like, bounced just a hair, like, a little bit. And then she's like, whatever, get another seed. <laughs> I wonder like, if, he like... Was like it makes me think about like the art of nature sketching and how like that makes you like really stop and observe and watch and watch and watch. And like, like Aaron, like you described that uh, moth that came out. I like wonder if you could like draw it based on like how much you hung out with it versus like taking a photo. Like, like it gives you the space to to do that and slow down and really pay attention to the details to try and draw. So I wonder if that's like another kind of avenue of, um, yeah documentation and some people may want to draw and not write they just want want to keep a, a journal page for the day and draw you know the head of the robin and call today at this time with the time state you know you could do it however it and art is something you work on until you like it and then it's done you cannot judge your own art by an artist of any other kind so you can make it what you what you want with key features you know or you could be like me and you you just you're done with it when you're done with it and you may not like it but you're ready to walk away from it. But, yeah, right? You've tried. You've tried. One eye one eye is not like the other. You're like there's no way I can just do this again. <laughs> so just... Oh my gosh. There was a um a moment that was really cool. You guys know Master Naturalists also and I had a phone call one year from a current Master Naturalist. It was in September. And she called from a county away and said, have, have, I had to call you. My chickens are going crazy. There's horse flies everywhere. They're running around the chicken yard trying to catch them. What do you think it is? Okay. I don't know what it is, but I'm sitting there going, okay, horse flies don't flock. There's not swarms of horse flies. So I'm sitting there and I'm standing in my window looking out of my backyard while I'm talking to her because it's after work and I'm at home. And I said, so what are they doing? She goes, they're trying to eat them. They're trying to catch them. I said, Okay. And I'm looking at my yard and going, oh, my gosh, are you sure? Because in my yard, I now have maybe 10, 12 species of dragonflies in my backyard. And I have a one field away from a creek. And I said, double check those horseflies. Might you have dragonflies? She goes, hang on. And she goes, oh, my gosh, Peggy, how did you know that? I'm like, I guess because my yard is currently filled, county away, with dragonflies, and I need to go. Let's talk later. You go observe. I'm going to go observe. And I go outside and my uh, now husband, um, boyfriend at the time, he goes, what is it? I said, you got to come outside. And I'm just in awe and they're everywhere. And I'm like, how do they know? What are they doing? Because they're predators. And so I look around and I'm searching because they're swooping. It was Labor Day weekend and the flying ants were, I don't know a thing about ants. I want to, I'd send my list of things to do. The flying ants were emerging all through the air and the dragonflies somehow know this information emails I don't know how and they come shooting into the yard all different shapes and sizes so I I sit myself right down on the yard with a flying ant hole right between my knees looking at it they're shooting up I'm really was hoping a dragonfly would like come right in there I had no phone and I'm sitting there my boyfriend comes out and he goes you're going to need this because you're probably going to be a while and just to be honest he brought me a nice little glass of wine and I sat there for an hour and a half and watched insects emerge and get captured by hundreds of dragonflies and just thought nothing more of it than a, the most beautiful moment the next year I'm out in the yard 
and all of a sudden I'm like, what is flying all, holy cow, what's the date? I didn't write it down. It was Labor Day weekend, but it was not on, it wasn't, well, she called me, it was afterward, maybe it was on Monday's Labor Day, it was like one day different. I'm like, so every year, the next year, you guys, nothing, nothing. One full week later. I'd get, I just assumed it was a fluke. I had no more ants. One, I don't spray anything on my yard. They must just have moved. One week later, an entire week in a year. The difference, probably the weather that I didn't keep track of. Temperature, hmm. it wasn't raining, right? So this is an annual event in my part, maybe Abigail's part of the state. Aaron, yours would be a lot sooner, maybe different species. But it was just the most fantastic thing and I didn't even, I haven't even written it down. I just remember it because I just, I had no cell phone. I just had myself and I sat down. It was crazy. They were everywhere, which means they were everywhere all year in my yard. Think about all those like really interesting questions you can now ask about oh, like my, why now, yeah. why later, what happened, what no. was the difference? Like, oh, just so. And then I worried about my neighbors coming out with like aerosol ant spray you know I'm like nah. you're like you know? no we have our own ant killers Isn't they're it, amazing it was, it was just beautiful you know it's not a task the phenology doesn't have to be a task it's the creation of your connection to nature and to help us be present not just make a list and list is important it, you can be a good you know citizen scientist um and it's okay if your plan for the day has five organisms, but the first one is flying ants and you spend no time on anything else. You you know, give yourself that room to take a phenomenon that's bigger than usual. And I think what's really interesting, and you mentioned citizen science, is that there are um, different scientists that right, have taken these observations and then asked that deeper why question and then put together more concerted efforts to try to figure out why that's happening. Um, and then... A lot of the times they open it up for people like for everyone to be able to contribute and share their observations and try to get a bigger database than they would ever be able to do on their own, right? Um, so are there um, initiatives that you know of that people can get involved with that have to do with phenology, um, but contribute to this like broader um, science effort? I only know of citizenscience.gov, which is the nature's notebook, and I popped it back up earlier, and it's still there. But Abigail, you were mentioning some of yours that um, there in that in your area and other that would be considered a phenology space. It's through the Chicago Botanic Gardens. It's called Project Budburst, and it is a really neat program. It's actually not just Cook County; it's it's anywhere. And I've used it before. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's a really cool way to observe um, some of the research questions they're asking. Is like how is climate change impacting the phenology of some species? So it's a really cool way to see. I you know I'm new into the have uh, into phenology, but like what historically how have these kinds of things changed if you're interested in that kind of research you can see entries um, and enter your own and then another really cool question they're asking is about uh, flowers and their interactions with pollinators and how you know different horticultural varieties are changing so when we have when we've made changes to a native species a wild type species to make it more desirable in a, in a home landscape or something if it changes when the flower opens for example how does that affect the pollinators that visit it and so just based on observations that every 
everyday people are doing. Everyday scientists, I don't want to call us like we're not scientists because science is just asking questions about the world and and searching for answers. And so that's what we're all doing with all of these things. And I, I just think that project's doing some really cool stuff. So and with climate change, it's going to be necessary that we kind of get all boots on the ground. And we'll, those of us, when I'm saying when I'm retired and not employed, those of us out in the field are going to have some really important inputs as things continue to change. And that can help us mitigate uh, for other things, you know, that are, you know, we can't, um, we can't completely, you know, we can make mitigations to help slow things down and such, but we need to be thinking about, okay, if this is how it's trending, how can we make amends? I do also, since we talked about listening, I do want to mention that there is a, another, um, research project that's being done out of um, SIU, Southern Illinois University, um, called Sounds of Nature. And it um, has people, and it's not just in Illinois, it's actually in like five states now, which is crazy. Um, It's expanded. uh, And they um, have you go out and do, I haven't participated, so I don't know the details, but you do a recording of your soundscape and then you send oh, it back in fun. and they're able to analyze from that what they're able to hear. Um, and they're just monitoring biodiversity again as um, just over time to see how things are changing with changing climate and all other factors that are happening. But um, you can, we'll link to that website too. And um, it's just a That's different awesome. way of capturing that data so I just wanted to share that one because we talked yeah no that would be fantastic it's right up there with like frog calling survey you know we make exactly distinguished by calls Mm -hmm. that's fantastic yeah I mean all of those citizen science observations any of those citizen science projects um, a lot of them are typically found on like this idea of when is something out how often it's out what is it interacting with at what time and so over here at, at at the Spotlight Pod, we're 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 a big fan of the community and citizen science realm. So always feel free to also reach out to us, audience. If there's you're like, I want to do something, I'm sure all of us have a list somewhere of like, here are some mm-hmm. great projects. So, and you may find your favorite thing in nature. Maybe you didn't even realize you liked you know insects, and you get into the entomology. You might it might help you narrow your own phenology retirement plan. Thank you, Peggy, so much for sharing your knowledge with us about phonology and chatting it up. We really enjoyed having you on the pod. Um, But before we close, it's time for our special spotlight. So this is the part of the show where we're going to shine a spotlight on something cool that we saw in nature. Um, So Abigail, I'm going to pick on you to go first. I was thinking, I was like, what have I seen in nature? What's out? And obviously snow, because I'm up in Cook County and we've been getting blizzard and conditions and um, it's really cold up here, but it's sunny. And so all across my roof is icicles. And I was just like, huh, like what's going on with those? So I I was observing them closer because I knew we were talking about phenology today. And I was like noticing that, well, there's melting happening here and dripping and some are bigger than others and some are not even very big on one side of my house versus the other. And so I, after all those observations, then I went down like an internet rabbit hole of icicle research (laughs) and was like, wow, like, okay, so the air has to be cold enough for like water to freeze, but there has to be sunshine to allow for it to melt. And just like all these really cool, like, why is it cone shaped? 
What do the bumps on the icicles mean? Like how you can see, like you can watch a video time lapse of like how the ripples on the icicles move over time. Like they they shift. It's not just they build on top of each other. They're like moving down the icicle. Oh it's so cool. And it's actually like the study of, um, it's called geomorphology, like how things form. So yep. volcanoes, yep. mountains, mm-hmm. icicles. <laughs> So, Perfect. so that's, that's my special spotlight it. today. Icicles. That's awesome. Now I'm going to go and start because mm-hmm. our building has like, they get like, we get like ones that go to the ground eventually. And I've always like, how do they, you know, once they're to the ground, they don't fall off. They just become pillars. <laughs> but like their shape in particular is like a special thing that has to do with, with physics and the way water melts and how heat rises. Very, anyways. Moving on. Very cool. <laughs> I'm gonna go watch a time lapse on how an icicle forms after this. I know, right? <laughs> All right, Peggy, what's your special spotlight? Well, my special spotlight. I was so excited when I saw, and you have to have a special spotlight. So there's a a garden shop just in town from where I work, out in the forest preserve. And the young lady there knows who I am from field trip seasons when she was little, and she left me a glass jar on my desk last November and a note and it said dear Miss Peggy this snail came into the garden shop from California so it can't he has to stay in he can't be let go um, and his shell is crushed can you please save him Jaina and I'm like oh my gosh I do not have any kind of EMT training for snails but he was alive he was alive (laughs) and he was consuming lettuce and he was excreting which if you know anything about your own human body if you eat and go to the bathroom things are cool so I knew he had at least things going on and the cute thing was though she put other seashells in there thinking he would move you know which I'm like oh there's a teachable moment he has since become uh, Esther Duncan because I have a really good friend who's very popular up here in the newspapers with her um, column nature column and Pam and I were talking and she said my aunt Esther hiked hitchhiked from California to the suburbs back in the whatever day so the snail's name is esther duncan and because it hitchhiked and it is thriving it is larger it eats romaine it's on a bed of damp peat and sphagnum moss it Hold has on, Peggy, lar- what are we talking large here like i need a visual um, the shell's about the size of a quarter yeah okay okay and when i when i go and like drip water if if she's if they are sleeping if they're sleeping i drip some water and it notes that there's water coming in, it turns and literally comes sliming up to get to my hand and crawls along my hand and on my arm. And we just look at each other. And I had a hand lens out the other day and one eyeball on the pedestals, you know, the first pedestals are their eyeballs. There's this little black dot. I literally had my hand lens to look closer and they turned their eyeball right into the lens and looked at me. And I'm like, my world just got so huge. That's my science my little uh, note, nature noted thing oh my gosh it's amazing and my oh, husband it. totally will like uh, have you spent time with esther today i'm like no he goes why don't you grab a cup of tea and sit down have some time with esther he knows he just loves to feed my need i'm like okay thank you he goes, i'll make dinner you hang out with esther i love him <laughs> oh my gosh oh peggy always a pleasure always a pleasure I'll send you a picture. Her shell is not solid, but I'm hoping that she'll be able to produce some calcium enough to, because, you know, slugs are just um, snails without calciferous glands. I'm hoping she does develop a shell, but she will, in the most, more seriously, 
You find something in your plants from another place in the world, do not. You can keep it, find a home, call a nature center, do not release it, please. Because um, they they are both male and female from my research. Again, this the land snails too. And they don't need a buddy to make a problem and create more snails. So um, keep it keep it to your home and, and uh, find somebody that'll <laughs> sit down and enjoy it like I do. <laughs> I have this fe- feeling I'm going to get like 80 snails or something now. <laughs> yeah, I feel like you need a P.O. box for snails now just yes. to be sent to you from the pod. So fun. Yes. All right, Erin, what's your special spotlight? I will um, go back to our phonology topic. And I uh, jumped up in the middle of the day today and went, we actually have snow down south. I have to go put my native seeds out in my garden. Oh, yeah. Um, And so I frantically went and grabbed some seeds that I had and ran outside, got my garden plan that has changed so many times since I've made it because that's just how it goes. Ran outside and most of the snow has already melted (laughs) where I am, but I'm like, it's okay. It's January. It's cold out. It's time to get those seeds out. Um, So I probably looked like a crazy person uh, to all the cars (laughs) going past in my boots with my little seed packets sprinkling them out in the snow um, but we don't get snow a lot down south so I wanted to take advantage of it because a lot of those native seeds need cold moist um, period of time in order to break their dormancy so for us January and February is a great time if we get some snow to put those seeds out I meant to put them out before it snowed so they're not just bird and squirrel food so we'll see how many of them make it through um, but I did that today and it brought me a little bit of joy because then I know the sun is out and just in a couple months, it's going to be greening up again and spring is coming. So, um, that was my, that was my moment today. Coming sooner to you than us, <laughs> but our groundwater is getting recharged this year. That is true. You got, you got quite a bit of snow up there. Well, this has been another episode on the spotlight on natural resources podcast. Check us out next month where we're going to be talking with Chris Evans about early spring wildlife. So just like I said, it's coming sooner than we think. University of Illinois Extension.